this is Take Notes with Jen Rafferty, where we move music education in new directions. I'm your host, Jen Rafferty, a music educator, author, and huge social science nerd. And I am so excited to go on this journey with you as we highlight the intersection between music education and the social sciences. Hello! So today we're talking about one of my favorite things, and that's brains. We are going to totally nerd out about brains today because when we really look at the neuroscience of education and we pair it with the cognitive psychology and the pedagogy we use in the classroom, magic starts to happen and we're really able to teach kids effectively that is responsive to what their brains need to learn and then, of course, retain information and recall it when they need to, which is kind of the point, right? As I dig further into the research, it seems that educational neuroscience is really just common sense explained by science, which is exactly how our guest, Virla Ponet, describes her experiences in digging deep into her research as well. If teachers knew just a little bit more about how the brain works as we learn, and then, get ready for this one, taught their students about how their brains work, maybe classes would run a little bit differently because students would understand the learning process on a neurological level. Now, I'm not advocating for everyone to become this neuroscience nerd, although in a perfect world, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. But just even knowing a few pieces of key information about how our brain works when we learn can make all the difference in the experiences in the classroom for both the teacher and the students. Virla started her career in tourism, actually, and learned languages in which now she speaks five of them fluently. So she began studying about how she was able to learn languages so easily while it was so difficult for other people around her. She became interested in teaching, but was far more interested in how the brain worked as it learned and soon discovered neuro-language coaching and came upon neuroeducation at the University of Barcelona. And in talking with her, her urgency about this topic is palpable. Students have changed, teachers have changed, but somehow we we always have needed and we always will need the brain to teach and to learn new things. So how come we don't really know anything about it? And that is kind of my mission in life. And Virla talked about not just learning in the classroom, but learning everywhere. Learning when the grandchild teaches the grandparent how to use Zoom, or in my case, when my son taught my mom how to use her own iPad. Or, as Virla explains, We all know that we need to have a good night's rest. We all know that we all function a lot better after a good night's rest. But how and why does that happen? We all know that we need practice to become perfect. How does it happen? Why does it happen? And I believe that just by giving that basic information to to teachers and to students, instead of just saying, you have to go to bed now, it's time for you to go to bed, you need your sleep. If you actually tell them why they need their sleep and what it does to the brain, I believe that could make such a massive difference. Another piece of this puzzle is the connection to emotion. And when we connect learning with emotion, we learn it more deeply. So think about it. Can you remember a really great lesson from when you were in high school? Yeah, I bet you can. 
I bet it was emotionally charged. And Virla mentioned how we can use play to our advantage to create that emotional connection. Making lessons playful so that, you know, we connect with emotion. If as teachers, we become better actors as well, again, not professional actor. I'm not going to do, you know, I'm not going to star in, in a movie. But I, I, you know, some basic improv skills and some, you know, so just some of the basics so that we can do some role play um, in a more, you know, in a better way. Well, basically, it's the dopamine circuits that get, you know, that get activated. And that's the feel good. You've got dopamine, serotonin um, that start, you know, running around your brain. And if we've got that, if we, that that's the feel good um, neurotransmitters that we get. And those are the ones, you know, that make us connect to that emotion. And that's what we get then as a, um, that, that's what we relate positively to, to learning. That sounds really cool. Improv for teachers. Yeah, we are actors. Of course we are. We are sometimes some of the best actors. And imagine a world in which teacher training included not just a whole course about neuroeducation, but improv. I think we're onto something here, guys. Now, and another trick is like giving them a choice. You know, you, we're always talking about, you know, just, you know, as, I, as I've said many times, we are the facilitators. We can, we can just offer them the knowledge, but they have to take it and they have to do something with it. Now, by giving a choice, you can help them to do that. For example, you need to do several things today, right? Or in a lesson, this and this and this is what we have to do. As a teacher, you know that this and this and this is what you have to do during the class. Several things. Now, if you say, okay, um, where would you like to start? You are giving them the choice. They are making the decision. And automatically, they will feel more empowered and they will say, okay, yeah, but you chose to do this. So, and if you choose to do something, if you choose to do it first, you're more motivated to do it. Autonomy is important at any age, but particularly as students get older, they need autonomy. Their brains are craving a sense of individuality and some control over their environment. And if you think about how school works, adults make decisions for students all the time, every day. They often need to raise their hand if they want to go to the bathroom and need special permission to walk from place to place. I understand the need for rules like that in some places for safety measures. However, there have to be places within the school day or within class time where students are able to make decisions. And when they feel that they're in control of their own learning, they will be more willing and open to learn the things. As a side note, yes, those are birds chirping in the background. Virla is currently in the Canary Islands, and when I was giving this interview in April in central New York, it was snowing. We want to make it stick. We don't want to say it over and over again because that's just like, oh, God, am I saying the same thing again? You know, we, you know, we, we would all prefer to just say it once and for learning to stick. We know that doesn't work because we need repetition because basically when when you know when everyone whenever we're learning something new and we've got these two neurons trying to talk to each other 
you know, they're not connected. They're trying to make a connection. Okay, the first time they connect, you've got this wobbly path, like a dirt track. Um, you know, there's no real connection. But okay, yes, we we're there. So between these, okay, we've got we've got this is this is something we've learned, right? Now, the first time these are connecting, which is just a piece of new knowledge, these are all dirt tracks, and it's 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 not the easiest to get there. By repetition, what we do is that becomes a highway. So we've got like really fast connections. Why do we introduce new concepts, building on concepts that students already know? Why is that easier? Because we've got this connection here. It's much easier to make that connection bigger and include more than just like building a new one and starting from zero. It's not rocket science. It's all, it's all as I said, it's common sense explained by, by science. But because we all know that, what we need to get out there is why does it happen? The dirt track analogy is really helpful for me. Understanding and conceptualizing how new thoughts are formed in the brain seem to make sense that way. When new knowledge is created, it's kind of this dirt path between two neurons that's really tough to navigate. But then, as it's practiced and reiterated, that dirt path becomes a highway that is very well connected. One of the obstacles of making those very strong connections is stress. Because when we're stressed, cortisol runs through our brains and body and we are unable to process information in the same way as if we weren't feeling stressed. Stress is the amount of pressure one can take before the limbic system kicks in. You know, the limbic system being the fight, flight or freeze um, moment, which we all have at certain moments in our lives. When that um, limb, um, amygdala hijack kicks in, we also have to teach the kids, you know, what can we do? when that happens, because it will happen at some stage. We can try, as we said before, we can try by sleeping more, by getting the certain amount, by giving, having that repetition um, when we're learning so that we give everything time to sink in so that we can try and avoid that amygdala hijack to the best of our possibilities. But what happens when we do get it? The amygdala is a small almond-shaped part of your brain within the temporal lobe. It has many functions, but its main purpose is to help serve as an emotional filter as it determines whether it needs to activate the fight, flight, or freeze response. The good news is, the amygdala helps keep us alive. It's pretty awesome. It helps us react when we're in danger, like when we are cavemen and cavewomen running from a wild animal. But the bad news is that while society has changed, our amygdalas still react as if we are being chased by a hungry lion eager for an afternoon snack. When we go into fight, flight, or freeze responses, we can't learn. Access to our prefrontal cortex, where we process the learning, is just not accessible. However, if we become self-aware, then we can calm down our brains and continue with the learning process. And often, we feel the amygdala hijack in our body before we even realize what's going on. What happened to you the last time you were feeling stressed? For me, my breathing gets shallow, my palms are sticky, and my armpits get really sweaty. So by just calming down your nervous system, taking a few deep breaths and saying, okay, this is what's happening to me. I'm having 
you know, I'm having kind of, a, I'm having this amygdala hijack. Um, what can we do now? I know this is happening. I know why it's happening. I know it's because my stress level has become too high. So that's when this fight, flight or freeze response kicks in. So what can I do to lower my stress level? And just by realizing that that is what is happening in your brain, that can be of a great help to, your, to, to our kids or to our students or to teachers. Breathing is a great way to lower stress levels and calm down your amygdala. Mindful breathing can almost immediately lower cortisol levels and return the brain to a place where it can learn. If you are interested in some great breathing exercises, be sure to check out the podcast notes for a link to some videos. Reducing stress can just be a two-step process, awareness and then breathing. I encourage you to try this for yourself next time you're feeling stressed or better yet, teach some breathing exercises to your students as a tool for self-regulation. So now with all of this amazing information about neuroscience and neuroeducation, I asked Virla, what is your dream for the future of education? What is my big dream for education? Oh, good question. There's so many dreams. How can I put it all, all into one? I want education to be more inclusive. I want there to be, you know, more awareness of diversity, because even if we know about the brain, there are no two brains that work in the same way. I want, I want the ratio in the classrooms in, you know, I want those to be a maximum of 15 to 18 students in one classroom, in every single classroom. I want more than anything else, teachers to be valued for the enormous amount of work they are doing every single day. That's what I want for education. And where it comes with teacher training, with emotions, with neuroscience or whatever, I want teachers to feel valued because happy teachers will make happy students. Better prepared teachers will have better prepared students. And I know I'm a dreamer, but I hope to be a dreamer until the day I die. To learn more about Virla and her work, you can find her on LinkedIn, Clubhouse, and of course, her TEDx talk, all of which are linked in the podcast notes. If something you've heard today inspired you, let me know how you used it in your classroom or within your teaching practice. Email me to tell me what works or what you still want to know more about at music at jenrafferty.com. Until next time, this is Jen Rafferty. Have a wonderful day. This podcast was brought to you by Jen Rafferty Music, cover art by Molly Reagan and Good Neighbor Art, and music by John Kiefner.